Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. Bad timing. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. Welcome to Nothing Personal. We are live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Just having watched England crush Australia's bid to make it to the finals of the Women's World Cup. That would have been cool because they were hosting. But no, it'll be England against Spain. Not exactly a huge surprise. I guess the fact that the U.S. isn't there. Maybe a surprise to some, but England and Spain, probably ranked two and three, will be in the World Cup final. Bad timing. I'm talking about Shane McClanahan. I've got a story for you. On August 2nd, 2023, Shane McClanahan, the two-time All-Star pitcher who has not even gotten to arbitration, which means he's only been in Major League Baseball for one plus years. This is his second year. All-Star twice, best pitcher on the Rays who were the best team until July 1st. August 2nd, he's got some issue, but Kevin Cash says, don't worry. It's the back side of the front side of the left top of his forearm. And I looked askance right into the camera on that day or the next day's show and said, hmm, not exactly sure I've heard that before, but this, this smells slightly like it could be TJ. Cut to Kevin Cash now is a little more worried. To go from not overly concerned on August 2nd to going under the knife this coming Monday, which will be August 21st, that's 19 days from not overly concerned to holy crikeys, we've got a problem. The bad timing is a double entendre. For the Tampa Bay Rays, who as you recall, were on pace to win 196 games this season. They were the runaway best team in baseball. They were 28 games over 500 on July 1st but they have been beset by injury after injury. And for a team with a lower payroll, which the Rays have, it is very hard to overcome pitching injuries. They just don't have the depth that other teams can have, and that's what money can buy. That's what payroll gets you, is depth. There are plenty of teams winning this year, Orioles, Rays, Marlins, etc., Reds with lower payrolls, lower third payrolls, but the higher payroll is how you can overcome mistakes, how you can overcome bad contract signings, how you can overcome injuries. The Rays have had 10 players have Tommy John since 2020. It's an ungodly number. It's way too many phone calls to the team president, way too many calls to the owner, way too many questions being asked, what is going on here? 
there is an outbreak, Dustin Hoffman style, within the Tampa Bay Rays organization. But this one is a real issue. Bad timing for the Rays because they need pitching and they needed him. Bad timing for Shane McClanahan. Let me explain how interesting this is. In baseball, generally a player gets paid the minimum for the first three years that he's in the big leagues. You can give him above the minimum. We used to have a pay scale. You may read about in spring training when a player gets renewed. That only means that the player didn't agree to the salary that was given by the team, but the player has no choice. They have to agree in the first three years, but they can just say, hey, I don't agree. We're going to call it a renewal. We used to penalize players for renewing. We would offer them X if they would take the deal and then X minus Y if they would not take it, we'd renew them at X minus Y. There's no reason for it. Players would often say, we're gonna make you pay in arbitration. We're so angry about the renewal that we're not gonna sign with you as a free agent. And it was all absolute horse hockey. Didn't matter in arbitration, didn't matter when it came to free agency. It's just the players want the most they can get every year, like every employee. Great, that's the first three years. Years three, four, and five, you get arbitration. That's when an arbitrator decides your salary. You get to use comps. You get to compare yourself to players of your service time. Then you get to free agency after six years. But there's a little known rule called super two. A super two belongs to only the top few percent of players with over two years of service time and under three years of service time. And you get to be arbitration eligible after your second year in the big leagues. Therefore, you get arbitration four times, not three. It is a huge difference in money. The reason why it is so huge is that arbitration tends to build on itself. If you are a performing player and you make $3 million your first year of arbitration, that can go to six, that can go to 10, that can go to 15. Three, six, 10, 15. That's $34 million over four years, back of the envelope, for being a super two. If you miss arbitration, instead of three, six, 10, 15, you have three years of, arbitra of arbitration at, call it five, nine, 15. That's 29. That's a $5 million loss. And that's if you continue to be as good as you have always been. The Shane McClanahan bad timing is that he is a super two player. When you are on the injured list, you still get service time. Service time is what is counted to get you to arbitration or to super two or to free agency. It's all about service time. When we have grievances with players, they'd rather get paid in service time than cash. Teams would rather give them cash than service time when there are fights about injured list or options down to the minors, teams would always prefer to pay money into the account of the player than give them credit for the days. Because when you're on the major league team, you get major league service time. When you're on the major league injured list, you get major league service time. Shane McClanahan is on the injured list right now, and he will get service time for the rest of this season. 
and that will allow him to gain Super 2 status, which means he will be arbitration eligible for next season. So they start negotiating his contract, and they say, hey, Shane, how about a million bucks for you? You're not going to play at all because he's out all of 2024. And Shane McClanahan says, no chance, toilet pants. You're paying me for what I've done, not what I'm going to do. And what I've done is damn fine. I'm an all-star caliber player, a Cy Young candidate. I want my $3 million. Well, let's settle this in the room. Tampa's not going to say that because the rules of arbitration are it is absolutely inadmissible and arbitrators do not take into account what is going to happen next year. We can't go into the room with a starting pitcher before arbitration and argue to the arbitrators, he lost his spot in the rotation heading into spring training next year. He's gonna be a closer or a reliever. So we wanna pay him next year like a closer or a reliever. Doesn't work. He will be paid as though he were a starter because he was a starter. So Shane McClanahan will not lose one dollar in 2024, even though he will not play one game because his arbitration will be based on what he's done. But now let's go to the next season, 2025. He'll be arbitration eligible again. Then the team will go into the room and say, look, he made $3 million in 2023. He pitched zero innings in 2023. Tommy John, 469. He will go into the arbitration room at the end of 2024. The Tampa Bay Rays will argue he did nothing in 2024. He didn't pitch an inning. He didn't win a game. We want to pay him the same $3 million. Shane McClanahan will say, what about a raise? I want a raise. Do you know the most you can cut a player who doesn't play the entire year or who stinks so badly that they lose their job or get option to the minor leagues, whatever the case may be, the most you can cut a player's salary is 20%. That means that the Tampa Bay Rays could offer Shane McClanahan $2.4 million in 2025, if his salary is 3 million in 2024. But McClanahan does not have to agree to that. And in arbitration, it is very rare that a team will file and then go to the room and go to a hearing at a cut from the previous year. Those cases settle. But instead of Shane McClanahan being healthy and going from $3 million next year to six or $7 million the year after, he's lucky if he goes from three to 3.1, he's more likely to go from three to three or whatever his number is in 2023, that will be his number in 2024. So if I'm the president of the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm looking at this situation and I am DBR, despondent beyond repair because my payroll is low to begin with I've got all these injured players. I need players to perform for me. Paying players not to play in football, dead cap money. In baseball, it's called IL money or released money. Released money is when you release a player, but you still have to pay him. 
Bobby Bonilla is another example because that's deferred money. Injured money, deferred money, released money. Shane McClanahan is injured money next season. Tampa will look at its payroll and say, I don't want to pay him $3 million. It does not make sense. What can I do? They're going to go to Shane McClanahan and they're going to say, look at your teammate, Tyler Glasnow. He had Tommy John, one of the 10 players. And we signed him to a contract extension while he was on Tommy John. And the reason why we did it is we took away a year of his free agency, but we guaranteed him money when he was still injured. We would like you to consider taking a long-term deal from us, which we're offering you, even though you've now had two Tommy Johns, he had one in college, two Tommy Johns, hard to come back from two, but we're gonna offer you money where you're not gonna get your full arbitration number next year, but we're gonna give you a raise in 2025 when you're gonna be back. Tyler Glasnow looked at the two-year $30 million deal and said, I'm in. It was $5 million this year, his comeback year, and then $25 million in his first free agent year. But Tyler Glasnow was more than a $25 million pitcher before he got hurt. In theory, he's more than that today, but he got the guarantee while on Tommy John. The reason why Shane McClanahan will consider that is A, he doesn't know whether he's going to come back. B, he knows that he is not going to get the Jeffrey Springs offer. Jeffrey Springs, another great young pitcher who also, by the way, hurt. He signed a long-term deal. It was announced earlier this year, four years, $31 million. And everyone said, wow, what an amazing steal for the Tampa Bay Rays. But then he got hurt. Remember, Jeffrey Springs was in arbitration for his first time this year, got $4 million. He then got hurt in April, done. Do you know that under his contract, he'll make $5.2 million next year? Remember when I said Shane McClanahan without a contract and missing a year of Tommy John, he'll go from three to three or four to four? Jeffrey Springs gets a $1.2 million raise for doing nothing. Not ideal. While Shane McClanahan will not get an offer like that, he will get an offer like Tyler Glasnow. Guarantee him a couple of years, maybe even three years for the rest of his arbitration, lock it in, and McClanahan's gonna say yes. Let me give you a wait to see based on this that people are not talking about, but you're gonna hear it here. Because of the unique circumstance of the McClanahan injury, because of the bad timing for both him and the Rays, they will find a way to get together and try to make lemonade out of lemons. Wait to see when we tell you something's gonna happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Here's my wait to see. The Rays will sign a multi-year contract with Shane McClanahan prior to the start of next season. Wait to see. Tampa's got problems to deal with, enough for me to miss even less running a baseball team, thinking about all the things that are happening with the injuries, with Wander Franco. One of the things, there's no update with the Franco story. The only update I have for you right now 
is that I'm always happy to admit and tell you when I'm wrong and make the correction. I said on the show and on other shows that I've been on that Wander Franco is on the restricted list and that means he's not getting paid while on the restricted list. It turns out that MLB and the union cut a deal for Wander Franco that though he is on the restricted list, he's still getting paid. Why they put him on the restricted list and still allowed him to get paid versus putting him on the administrative leave list or any other list they could have used is beyond me. But the correction is, and I apologize, Wander Franco is getting paid. You are all paying close attention to davidsampsonpodcast.com. Thank you for all the entries into the contest we did yesterday. We did a contest where we wanted someone to guess what our first specially themed t-shirt will be. That will be coming out within weeks. And one of you won. I'm not gonna tell you who. The shirt's gonna come out, then we'll contact you. But one of you did get it. As a matter of fact, more than one of you got it, but the first person in time is the winner. You are gonna love it. You're gonna smile. But you are getting on davidsampsonpodcast.com. You are buying merchandise, which I appreciate, and you're asking questions. One of them, I want to answer for you today. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get yourself six ninth baked. Six ninths baked. Darn it. And get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. Get on davidsampsonpodcast.com. Just find a way. You can do it. Hey, David, love the show. Appreciate that. You mentioned previously on Nothing Personal, that's always a good way to get your question on the show. It means you're watching, thank you. You mentioned previously you don't understand why baseball teams are signing these young players like Wander Franco to big long-term deals, especially with no discount. Wouldn't you rather take a chance on a budding superstar with a long-term deal versus signing a 30-year-old superstar to a 10-plus year deal where you know you will be overpaying the last few years of that contract? Take care, Matthew. Thank you. I appreciate that question, and it's something that we think about all the time, except it's two totally different circumstances. When you are signing, quote unquote, a 30 year old free agent, what I assume what you are discussing is that you believe that it is more risky because you're signing him to enough years that you are discounting the back end when he's not going to perform, a la Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, and so many others. And it was talked about this year with all the long term deals, the Trey Turner deals, the Corey Seeger deal. So many of the 10-year deals where you wonder the Manny Machado deal, the Xander Bogarts deal. When you sign a player who has an established track record, you are guaranteed in theory, notwithstanding the struggles that Correa and Turner have had this year, but you are guaranteed performance in theory through age 34, sometimes 35, of course, there are standard deviations. There are some players who start going downhill at 31, and there are some players who don't start going downhill till 37 or 38. But generally in the middle, we say 34 to 36, you can expect premium production from that player. So we then amortize the entire value of the deal into the first 
five or six years of the contract. So if we're paying a guy 300 million over 10, we pretend it's 300 million over five. And we say, in order for this deal to make sense, we need 60 million of production for a season, each season for the first five. And then anything after that, we will take as gravy. If we have to move the player, assuming he doesn't have a no trade clause and we have to pay part of the deal to move it, that's still gravy. If he ends up as a DH, if he ends up not playing every day, gravy. A young player, when you sign Julio Rodriguez or Wander Franco, even Austin Riley. Now I grant you Austin Riley is obviously worthy at this moment. Julio Rodriguez, wait to see. Wander Franco, very much wait to see. When your philosophy is to sign young players, they don't have a track record. There is nobody in baseball who believes that 60 games, 80 games, or 160 games does a track record make. I don't care that you won rookie of the year. I don't care that you are a celebrity. I don't care that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't care if your name is Fernando Tatis. I don't care any of that. What you do in your first year in the big leagues is not directly correlated to what your career will be. The baseball history is littered with young players who have been Kevin Moss and ended up being plumbers. It's normal. It is far more likely that you will get production from the established player. So if you're asking me about taking a chance, the reason why we would take a chance on the young people is the discount. That's the chance. We're gonna give you the guaranteed money, you give us the discount, and hopefully you won't suck. There is no discount for the 30 plus free agents. There's basically only premium. So that would be my answer. I appreciate the question. And by the way, Matthew, I absolutely understand about budget and I want to send you, I appreciate this question. I am sending you some nothing personal merchandise. I appreciate how hard you work and I appreciate your loyalty. So when you're listening to this show, make sure you reach out at either david at davidsampsonpodcast.com or matthew at davidsampsonpodcast.com. Give us your full name and address and I'm gonna send you something from the Nothing Personal merch store. I thank you for your loyalty. When we come back, I'm gonna review a movie that I watched in the middle of the night two nights ago and that is definitely informs my review of this movie. And then we're gonna talk some Angel Hernandez. And yes, it could be ball strikes, but more importantly, it's he who struck out. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467 467- 
888-789-7369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca, coming to you live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. I know there's a lot for you to do. Please subscribe to that channel. Please follow us on Twitter at David P. Sampson. TikTok, nothingpersonal.npds. You know where to find us. Instagram, David P. Sampson. Go on our website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. We're trying to be everywhere because you've given us the strength to grow. We might as well grow. No matter how busy we are, I'm watching a movie every day. I've been waking up. It has been a very bad stretch for me, even for me. When you're up for the night, like at 1.15, four nights in a row, it's not optimal. But for content purposes, it certainly is. I watched Heart of Stone in the middle of the night two nights ago, so I guess it was on Monday night. And it sucks not to sleep on Monday night because you know you're only at the start of your week. It's the second worst night to be up all night. You obviously know the worst night, that'd be Sunday night. Total anxiety over the week, the Sunday scaries, and you've got a whole week to get through. Monday night's the second worst night. For me, Thursday night, no problem. Heart of Stone is with Gal Gadot. Jamie Dornan, who you may know from Fifty Shades of Pink. That's not the name. It's that uh, Dakota Johnson series, Fifty Shades of White. I cannot remember. And Aaliyah Bott, an actress I'd never heard of, who turns out to have like 75 million Instagram followers, a huge star in Bollywood. And this is her first English movie, I do believe. So what they're trying to do with Heart of Stone is have Gal Gadot not be Wonder Woman, but be Tom Cruise. It is a Mission Impossible movie led by a woman. And I was completely entertained the entire time. It is formulaic, it is funny. The, the script 
is mediocre. The action scenes don't have the budget of Mission Impossible, but I'll tell you, it's like the first season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Ted Lasso. If it works out, you're gonna see a difference in budget in the second movie. There's no reason to believe there won't be a Heart of Stone dose. And there's no reason to believe the budget won't be more. And there's no reason to believe that Gal Gadot has done anything other than start what could be an interesting series. I am in awe of what Tom Cruise has done as an action hero, as the number one action hero of my lifetime, of this generation, or maybe any generation. And apologies to Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, to Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal. I don't know there's a bigger action star than Tom Cruise. Taking his mantle as a woman, she is the perfect candidate. Heart of Stone is probably not well-reviewed, probably not well-rated, probably not well-tomatoed, but I'll tell you what it is. It's damn well entertaining. What is not entertaining for me is watching Angel Hernandez umpire. I was in the unenviable position of having to watch him all the time. What they do in spring training is they generally let umpires umpire games close to where they live. And Angel Hernandez is a Palm Beach guy. He did, and you can look at this. This is anecdotal from my brain. But I believe Angel Hernandez was an umpire in more Marlins and Expos spring training games at Roger Dean Stadium than any other umpire ever. So I've seen him way too much. There is no disputing that around baseball, Angel Hernandez, along with several others who I've named before, are considered the least qualified, the least effective umpires in Major League Baseball, the lowest rated. And we did that way before the tools that are available today, which remove all doubt about how bad an umpire is. It's not like you can look at Angel Hernandez behind the dish in the Yankee Marlins game and say, wow, that's a good umpire. There are metrics. It is so easy now to see what's a strike and what's not a strike, which is why people are calling for robot umps, which aren't gonna happen. But challenges for umpires, I do believe that will happen, but on balls and strikes. So Angel Hernandez is a bad umpire. I think we all know that. You also know that Angel Hernandez sued Major League Baseball because they felt, he felt, that they discriminated against him because of his race. He pulled the race card on Major League Baseball. It is an affront to people who suffer from prejudice, who get held back because of their color and for not any other reason, who are held back when their quality would say they shouldn't be. It's an insult what Angel Hernandez did by filing the lawsuit against Major League Baseball. And this is not me stumping for management. This is me telling you when you suck at your job, don't you dare accuse management of saying, hey, you passed over me because I'm Cuban. No, we passed over you because you stink. And if you don't believe me, let's see what the courts have to say. Well, the courts did the talking yesterday and Angel Hernandez wouldn't quit. He appealed all the way up to the Second Circuit in New York. There's only one thing higher there, Angel. 
let's see if the Supreme Court of the United States will take your case. I'm not even giving you an official way to see. Nope. NGTH, baby, not gonna happen. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals in Manhattan, they rejected the Hernandez case, the appeal, three to nothing, game over. He said that Joe Torrey should not have say over who's a crew chief and who's not. Joe Torrey was in charge of umpires then, now it's Michael Hill. And Joe Torrey had a grudge against a grudge against Angel Hernandez when he was the manager of the Yankees, and that's why he held them back from being a crew chief. Angel Hernandez's lawyer actually made the argument, you know, Joe Torrey really shouldn't have full authority. I've got a little surprise for you as to how that works in Major League Baseball. I'm not exactly sure what was said in the briefs, and I'm certainly not going to oppugn anybody's brief writing skills or testimony under oath. But I would tell you that I have yet in 18 years to find any decision that is 100% made by one person. Is there an owner's prerogative? Yeah. Is there a commissioner's prerogative? Maybe. Is there an employee's prerogative? Not that I've ever seen. Maybe this was the one time when it happened, but I've never seen it before. You don't need to convene a Mensa convention to not make Angel Hernandez a crew chief. So now what? Well, it's pretty simple. Angel Hernandez is going to not lose his job. Why am I answering that question? Because so many of you tweet at me and text me and email me, why doesn't baseball just fire Angel Hernandez? What you may not know is the umpires have a union and there's a collective bargaining agreement between baseball and the umpires. I personally believe you should be able to lop off the two or three worst performing umpires according to metrics that are used to evaluate umpires. Much like we're very much allowed to fire the bottom two or three ticket salespeople because there is a metric. Hey, you're not selling, you are. It's like Glengarry Glen Ross, baby. You can either get paid or you can get fired, your choice. Why is it that a union should be able to protect, and this is an issue I have, you can call me anti-labor, which I'm not. I am pro-business. And sometimes that means being anti-management. Sometimes it means being anti-labor. I am pro-profit and pro-business. The concept of teacher tenure, the concept of umpires or players or any employee having a lifetime job. I feel the same way about SCOTUS appointments, whether they're left or right. Lifetime appointments bother me because you lose the edge just a tad, lose the incentive to study, to work hard. Again, don't twist this around saying Supreme Court justices don't work hard or teachers don't work hard once they have tenure. Of course, I'm not saying that. But the inability to get rid of underperforming people for the sole reason that they're protected by a union, the union should be there to protect wages, to protect people who have earned wages who are not being paid what they are rightfully owed, to make sure that the rules are being followed, that safety is being followed. 
but to protect Angel Hernandez? Ugh, makes me crazy, but that's why. But believe me, if he does one thing that violates his contract, they will fire him in two seconds flat. That lawsuit is over. Second only to the Yankees season, which is also over. Did you know that we took the Braves over the Yankees two days in a row and the Braves were one to two favorites two days in a row? Coke and I went back and the Yankees have not played a team who was one to two favorites since 2016 in August after they traded Chapman and others when they sold because they weren't going to make the playoffs. Then they re-signed Chapman after he won the World Series with the Cubs. But that's the last time the Yankees had two games in a row where their opponent was a one to two favorite. And the funny part is in 2016, if you go back, which Coca did, many times the one to two favorite lost the game when they were playing the Yankees. Not this year. The Braves were one to two favorites. We took them two days ago and won. We took them last night and we won. We are 112 and 111. But we told you to focus on Severino. And we told you that Severino will not start again. That was our wait to see. Guess what? Severino gave it up again. I think my old friend Marcelo Zuna hit a three-run bomb in the first inning. Severino pitched five and dive, gave up five, five runs, maybe four innings, whatever he pitched. Yankees aren't hitting, Yankees aren't pitching, and the Yankees are 60 and 60. Remember, this is not an opportunity for you to say, I'm a lifelong Yankee fan and I'm so angry I want everybody fired. The Yankees have not finished below 500 guess. Just what's your guesstimate? 28 years. It's the second longest streak in the history of baseball. They missed the playoffs in 16. Other than that, they pretty much make the playoffs every single year. Are they entitled to a bad year? Do I blame Brian Cashman for building the wrong team? Yes. Do I think that one of Cashman or Boone, if not both, will not be back next year because Hal's got to do something? Yes. But don't take away from what Brian Cashman, who will go into the Hall of Fame, what he's done. Yes, you may finish below 500. Don't forget what I told you about the Cardinals. Yes, they're also having a crappy season. But no reason to burn Moselleck's desk in effigy with the success the Cardinals have had this century. And the Yankees are even more successful than the Cardinals. Tonight's pick. I'm taking Verlander and the Astros over the Marlins. Verlander is going to want to match Scherzer. You may not have seen Scherzer's third start with the Rangers went seven innings. Now Verlander has his third start with the Astros as the Astros try to win a series as they continue to battle with the Texas Rangers. And if you think there is no Scherzer versus Verlander, Rangers versus Astros situation going on, or Rangers ownership versus Astros ownership, or players versus players, you are wrong. That is a rivalry. That is a meaningful race to watch down the stretch. Not as interesting post-wildcard era because they're both going to make the playoffs, but still cool. You'd rather win the division. 
Verlander is going to match Scherzer. We are taking the Astros over the Marlins. In 2006, when I realized I was not going to get a ballpark deal done immediately, that is when we realized we had to trade Miguel Cabrera because we wouldn't be able to sign him to a free agent contract. And in order to get the most we could, which ended up being not enough, we decided to trade him when he still had years left before free agency. As we were negotiating to get a new stadium, we knew that our owner was going to have to contribute, whether it was 100, 200, $300 million. But we also knew that we were gonna need to have a payroll higher in the new stadium than in the old stadium. We would have to start off with a bang in Marlins Park in 2012. Turns out we started off with too big a bang, the payroll was too high, and then when the team stunk, we tore it all down, much to my chagrin, a memory that I will never forget, a nightmare, fastest honeymoon of all time. But the concept is that you build your team up until the opening of a new stadium and you want to peak in the first or second year of your new stadium the way the Texas Rangers have, but they were one year delayed because of COVID. And you want to do that because that's your best chance of selling tickets and sustaining both competitiveness on the field and with revenue off the field. That's the plan. We all have that plan. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The Oakland A's are saying that they've got the same plan. Dave Cavill gave an interview yesterday to the Las Vegas Review. And I wanted to talk about two things in that article that are of interest to A's fans, to baseball fans, to owners, to the commissioner, and maybe even to John Fisher if he read it. The first one is about the play on the field. When asked about the Oakland A's and the fact that they've lost 86 games and the fact that they're not good and what's your plan, et cetera, et cetera, forgetting when the building's gonna open or if they're even gonna be in Vegas, forgetting that, he gave a quote that said, you wouldn't invest in a stadium and also not invest in the quality of the product. So that's something that we really want to reiterate and I think will be an important aspect as we launch the team in Vegas. He wants people in Vegas to know, hey, support us because while we stink now, we're not gonna stink then. We've got a plan, we've got a front office in place where we are doing this exactly perfectly where we will be ready to win when the new ballpark opens. Query, when will the ballpark open? Oh, let's say 2028. 20, Problem, it's 2023. There is no plan. Well, I carried around a five-year payroll plan and we would just get players, whoever we were signed really long-term would stay in the payroll and we'd have minor leaguers who we'd slot in thinking that this is when they'd graduate to the big leagues and then guess what their performance would be and put an arbitrary arbitration number next to their name. Yes, we would all do one, three and five-year plans. You find me a team. When they look back five years, they go to their plan and say, oh yeah, that worked. 
We've got the exact team we thought we'd have. We've got the exact quality of team we thought we'd have. We've got the same players playing who we thought we'd have, and they're as good as we thought they were going to be. It's like a unicorn. Maybe once in a blue moon, that happens. So what Cavill is saying is not that we have the structure in place or the systems in place. What he's saying is we're going to have the money in place. And if we haven't done it with our minor leaguers, if we haven't done it with our major leaguers, we'll bring in some free agents and we may do it with Heath Bell and Jose Reyes and Mark Burley. And we're going to be just fine when the new stadium opens. The reason people are concerned about that fact is that the Oakland A's are putting more money into their stadium and are forced to than anybody since the New York Yankees. And the Oakland A's are not the New York Yankees. They don't have the revenue. The market in Vegas is not New York. For everyone who thinks that all of a sudden the A's are gonna move to Vegas and become even a mid-level payroll team, you are not paying attention to the numbers. The Oakland A's in Las Vegas will continue to be a bottom third payroll team and a top third revenue sharing recipient team. So to all of a sudden believe that they will invest in the product in a way that you think they're not doing now, you are being fooled. Part of the article, Cavill also talked about how they are getting the money to do their share of the stadium. It's a conversation I've had with you. When you need to get money for a stadium, it doesn't come out of the owner's checking account. The owner goes to the market and borrows it. Every team does it with debt. You put together a proposal and you go meet with banks. And the proposal has, here's the amount of money we need. Here's what we're using it for. Here's what we expect to make as a result of this money. And here is how we expect to pay you back. The banks then look at that. They say, bullshit, no, not right. No, you're not gonna draw 30,000 people. No, you're not gonna get a naming rights deal of $20 million. We're gonna shave 20% off your projections. We're gonna give you your new projections. Then we go to the market to syndicate the deal, which means when you go to JP Morgan, or Bank of America, or Goldman Sachs to borrow money to put into a ballpark the way the A's have to borrow a billion dollars. JP Morgan doesn't give you a billion of its own dollars, nor does Goldman Sachs. They syndicate the deal, which means they go to a bunch of other banks and they say, hey, it's like being a limited partner. Do you wanna be the limited partner in this deal with the Oakland A's? We're giving them a billion dollars. We're gonna be the lead. We're gonna give you a fee. We're gonna take your money put it in the pot, give it all to Oakland, and then hope that we all get paid back. And if worse comes to worse, the team will go into bankruptcy, it'll be sold, and we'll get our money back anyway. When you go out into the market, you want your syndicate to be led by JP Morgan, Bank of America. You don't want it to be led by Goldman Sachs. Here's why. We talk to Goldman Sachs. Money that Goldman Sachs gets you in the market is more expensive than money that JP Morgan or Bank of America will get you in the market. The interest rate will be higher. The fees will be higher. I'm telling you this from experience, but the reason why a team would be willing to go with Goldman Sachs is because they don't have another lead bank. 
the other banks were unwilling to do the billion dollar deal or the half a billion dollar deal or the $300 million deal. It's because they've looked at the numbers, they've looked at the projections and said, no, we don't believe this. We can't sell it. So the rumor is that Cavill and the A's are doing a deal or getting down the road, working with investment bank Goldman Sachs on this financing. And then he said, this financing is gonna be both debt and equity. And that made my eyebrows furl. In order to borrow the money that they need to borrow because they're putting so much money into this ballpark, a billion dollars of it, even though everyone said how amazing it is that Nevada gave $380 million in state funding, hip, hip, hooray. This stadium they need want to build, which is now 33,000 seats, which won't fit on nine acres, but I digress. A billion dollars from the A's, but hey, we're going into the market. We got to deal with Goldman Sachs, so we hope. It'll be debt, which we have to repay, and equity, which means Goldman Sachs can take an ownership piece of the team. When you need to offer ownership pieces to raise money from the marketplace, that means that you're borrowing too much money and that the floor, that the rebar that you are basing your projections on is muddy and full of clay. This will be a story that we will continue to watch, but you can bet your bippy that Cavill and John Fisher and others are running around from Wall Street firm to Wall Street firm, and they're hearing the same thing. It's just business. This is nothing personal.